0: Hey everybody, welcome to Commercial Construction, Elevate the Industry podcast series hosted by yours truly, Dave Prasita. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of the podcast is to help everyone from owner to intern understand the industry better so that you can make the best decisions on where you want to go and how you want to get there. We're going to do it two ways. I'm going to introduce you through interviews to industry leaders whose stories are both empowering and inspiring. And secondly, I'm going to share my solo episodes, my personal experience of over 40 years with you. Today's episode is, you can consider it part two. We did an episode, it was number 11 in season one. It was called Commercial Construction, Common Questions and Concerns. And I had such a good time doing it. And we had such good feedback that I got another slew of questions that we're going to go through today. Now I'm going to warn you, I haven't seen the questions yet. But it doesn't matter because i'm going to answer just like i did before as directly and honestly as i can so let's start out with question number one how do i turn my internship into a paid opportunity be good every intern i've had over the years and, and and i've probably had a half dozen they've all been really really good and they learn your business and Our businesses are are all, you know, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of nuances. And when you get somebody in your company or if I'm talking to the intern, if you get into somebody's company and you have that ability to look at it from the inside out, if you're sharp, and I'm sure you are, you want to write the question, you're going to find out where you fit in. So if you want to get a paid opportunity, the best place to do it is with the company who you're interning for. And let them know in, in one way or another. They know if, if they're smart, they're going to ask you, hey, what are you thinking? What are your obligations after this internship? And maybe you have more college to go. Maybe you have another year to go. But say, sir, ma'am, I would like to return and I would like to intern again next summer because I really like your company and I'd like to work here one day. That's, I think, the best way to get a paid opportunity. Next question. When considering a business to buy what's more important, profit, current sales, or growth potential? I mean, that's a good question. You know, they all matter. I mean, profit is what drives, what well, profit is the big driver of the sale price or in this case, the purchase price. But your current sales are important and your growth potential is huge. Now in, Selling a business. It was uh, episode two, season one. I went into this in, in great detail. And I'll say that your upside, like everybody looks at an upside, you're going to have a price for your business as it is today. But don't think for a second that the buyer is not going to be looking at, hey, how can I leverage this company to grow? So current sales or backlog matters. Now, if you're, if you're doing five million a year and you have a backlog of three and it's June of that year, more than likely you're going to increase that backlog and it's going to be better than it was the year before. So you want to see positive growth in backlog. What you don't want to see is an inordinate backlog spike, because then it looks like you're spiking your sales to get the most for your business. That will stand out. Uh, that'll it'll be a red flag. Now, your growth potential is huge. I talk about it and and I say that if you're in a market and you're a small player, that means you have great growth potential in that market. Maybe you're lacking financial wherewithal, bonding, or even money to resource it with people. But if a a big company buys you, right, or you want to buy a small company, buy one that can grow, that you can leverage. I, I mentioned a company before I was involved with the purchase, and the company I was with bought a drywall company in a small market. They were the big player. There was nowhere for them to grow. So that made no sense. So to answer your question, it's important your profit is the key because you need to establish that you know how to run a profitable business. Second most important would be your upside. Okay, next question. How do I stand out against other PMs in a competitive environment? Well, good question and I'm gonna interview a guy named Steve Regalbuto from the West Coast, and and there is a consummate PM. You'll want to listen to that interview. But I would say a couple things. One is, you can tell a sincere PM from a PM who's just going to work. There's a huge difference. A PM's role is to protect the company. It's to help maximize profits, but to protect the company, right? Work for the best interest of the company. You can tell PMs who just want to make a move. A PM will be maybe a little extra nice to the general contractor if they're looking for work. You know, know, avoid uh, issues where there's going to be differences of opinion. You want a PM who is professional, who will stand up for your company. And I can tell a good PM in a meeting in a minute by the way they comport themselves, the questions they ask, how they push back. And I mean this: you can get a, a loud mouth. You, can be, you don't want to be that loud mouth. You want to be somebody who is in in control of the facts, who has command of the content, and you want to state your case in meetings. And you want to be, you know, as professional as possible. Stand your ground when you have to. Know what battles to fight and when to give in, because you could win that battle and lose the war. Understand the big picture. But uh, you want to, if you want to stand out. Be those things, be that person who's doing your job for the right reason. Nobody else would ever look to hire you if they thought you were less than genuine. Is is it a good idea to sell my business during COVID? You know, that's funny, I talked to a gentleman earlier today and talked about selling his house. And it's it's a seller's market right now, believe it or not. Believe it or not. And even in commercial construction, If you were able to keep your labor to revenue ratio, how much labor you're spending per every dollar of revenue, close to where it was before COVID, you're a gem. And you're a gem because you've established the fact that even during difficult situations, you can manage your labor. Now, if you got a PPP loan of 2 million and you, You use that money and you had no difference in your result. That may be looked at a little differently. But if you didn't get a PPP loan, or if you got that PPP loan that many people did, and I'm, I'm happy for them, if you were able to establish that you brought those jobs in and you still had additional money in your PPP loan, they're going to say that people who are looking to buy are going to see your business as well run. Now, COVID has had an impact. It has slowed business down a bit. But that's gonna change. There's still a very, very hungry market out there looking to buy companies. COVID, -COVID, pre-COVID, post-COVID, if you're good, if you're good, you'll be a target. Okay, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a minute with some more Q&A. Hi, I'm Patrick Ripple, founding partner of ISA Architectural. I've known that chap right there for well over 20 years. And what a 20 years it's been. I'm Larry Windsor, partner, Vice President of Construction Services. Our third partner, Mike Morehouse, can't be with us today. We are the Mid-Atlantic's premier sales force for architectural building products and engineered architectural solutions. For over 15 years, we have been providing comprehensive design solutions to architects and designers all across this region and high-quality economic product solutions to contractors and subcontractors too. We bring products and people together. We specialize in the building envelope, everything from the weather barrier all the way out to different types of cladding. We fully understand the rainscreen principle, and we have an interior portfolio specializing in wood and metal walls and ceilings. If you're a developer, part of a design team, architect, or interiors, or if you're a contractor, let us help you. Visit www.isaarchitectural.com and see how we can bring value to your project. Elevate. Hey, welcome back everybody on to some more questions. The next question, explain the path to acquiring another business as a first timer. Well, if you're in the business of acquiring other businesses, you must be doing well because you must have excess cash. You must have a plan for growth. Maybe you're gonna leverage your own company to buy it. But the first thing I would urge anybody to do is to hire a professional, hire a business consultant. And I can, you know, the business um, consultants, accountants, who do things like guide companies like yours through processes like these because they've been through them a bunch of times. Now, I can do that, but I'm not a financial analyst. But I can look at a business and I I can guide you and help point you to the things you should be looking at I'm not going to give you guidance on the financial end of it, but on the business side, I can. I can recommend people that do this every day uh, in addition to their normal accounting and and tax planning and all that, but don't try to do it yourself. Remember, and I said this before, if you're trying to sell a business, right, you built a business, but what what makes you think that you're qualified to sell it, you need professional guidance. Same thing with buying a business. Even more important because you don't want to buy something. You don't want want to overprice, you know, buy an overpriced company. You want to buy a company that's vibrant. and, And just looking at their books, looking at their last two years of work and process schedules. Do you want to do that alone? I would say no. So get good accounting financial advice and get good legal advice before you take too many steps. Look, understanding what a good business looks like, maybe that's your strength. And if you have one that fits, great. But before you get too deep, don't talk about, hey, we can give you this, we can give you that. Don't talk about any of that until you get good advice. Is it wrong to turn down a profitable job if it goes against your personal beliefs? Absolutely not. I mean, your your pers- personal or ethical side will stay with you forever. The job will come and go. When you make 30% on a job that most people make 20 because there's something else going on, do not get, don't, don't get into that position. You don't need it. It'll be a scar, whether anybody finds that or not, it'll be a scar that you'll never shed. There's good business to have out there and there's only one way to do it. There are no shortcuts. You get a job for the right reason. You do it with the right tools and you collect your money and you move on. But, but, you know, a profitable job, if it goes against your ethical standards, is never worth doing. As a buyer, should the legacy of a family business be considered when acquiring, I could say that, we're selling, right? In other words, a, a, a legacy business. I'm dealing with one right now, third generation, not second, third generation, and the buyer is very interested because it, the company has a great name, and the legacy is just that. It should be something that always is there. Doesn't matter who owns it or who runs it, as long as the cultural fit. And I just used the word in the last uh, question. The ethical standards of the company are similar, right? That absolutely should be considered. And I'll tell you, a good family business with a good legacy, that means it has a good name. And most likely, if you talk to other branding consultants, they'll say keep the name somewhere in the business because it rings well wherever that company is. It rings well and it should be It should be kept and it should be leveraged. So if you have a good legacy, your, as I just mentioned in the last answer, your your counselor, whether it be your attorney or your accountant or your business advisor, or all three will say that that is worth some money. Next question, is it smart to geographically expand after immediately acquiring a business? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because, you know, I think there are two separate things. If you're acquiring a business in a different geography, then you are expanding your geography through acquisition. So, I mean, you're doing two things at one time. What I would say, if, if I can read this again, right, is expand your business immediately after acquiring a business. Now, that could mean a lot of things. Are you expanding your business regardless of this of this new company you bought, or are you using this company to expand your business? Or am I, should I pay attention to helping integrate that business into the whole before I think about doing something else? I think that's probably more of where the question is leading. So I would, I would strongly urge you because integration i have done it several times. Buying a company is a lot easier than integrating it. You, you might think that's not true, but it is. You've got cultural differences, you've got soft, just the change in software, the change in process, the change in reporting ladder. All those things need your personal attention as the buyer. Now, I always say this, it's not the nuts and bolts of the business, the running job, it's not that that's that difficult, it's, the, it's managing people. Now, think about the sensitivity when you buy a company and you you still want to, you know, you got other things going on, but those people need you. They need you. They need you to listen. They need you to be there. They need you to understand because there's a big change going on in their life, not so much for the buyer, but for the seller. So I would strongly urge, if you're thinking about doing something else, make sure you acquire that business and you integrate them properly, so there's no fallout. How do I get past losing a big job? A career-changing bid. Well, we've we've all, if, we, if you've been around, you've been there. I remember the Salt Lake City Airport. It was a big job, it was like 20 million, it was a landmark job. I had the job wired, I knew The guy, the biggest guy in the market, we were friends. We visited him. He was going to get the job. We were going to get a bunch of it from him. He was the biggest local guy. The problem was they gave it to somebody else. And I lost it. And I had counted on that. It was another job in Miami. The Miami Convention Center. This was the worst thing that ever happened to me in business. Think about it. And And I've had my share of issues went to Miami to a friend, took my son. We went there and he treated us like family. Hey, we got a big job, Miami Convention Center, we need your help. Well, they had a specially ceiling application and we showed him how to do it. We said, this is how we're gonna do it. We did a mock-up and they had no idea. Oh my gosh, the West O'Lear market it was arcane. It was awful. It would have cost them triple. So we got the job, it was only, it was like 2 million bucks. But it was a, an important job at an important time and like a, a, a knucklehead, I listed it as one. But it wasn't one, because they did what we did. All of a sudden they wanted information on the tools and equipment we used. And then I started wondering. So we didn't give it to them. Next thing you know, they were doing it themselves and they cut me, my son and our company out of the job. Now. That, I look at at that as a failure on my part because I misread that. And that's one of the things, it really hurt. I had it in my budget for sales. I had it in the division's budget that was gonna do the job. It never happened. And I never felt, I mean, the, the word betrayed is very dramatic. And I don't like to get personal when I'm in business. But I'll tell you what, that's the single biggest screw job that I ever got. And I hope, that the person ends up listening to this podcast because you know who you are. But losing a big job, if you do everything right, it happens and it shouldn't change you. It shouldn't change, it shouldn't change your career, that's for sure. But learn from it. I did. And I thought I knew I I thought I was a pretty seasoned veteran. And I let this guy take advantage of me. Could about the Salt Lake City job, I couldn't help. Because we rode the biggest horse in town and they were going to get the job because they were the only guy big enough to do it. Well I guess we were the only ones that believe that because we didn't get it. Now, two completely different things. One was out of my control, I did everything right. One was within my control and I misread that and that hurt, and it hurt me a lot of people. But don't, if you do, just do everything right, control what you can, and if it doesn't go your way, move on. And our next question, how do I make my small business more attractive to potential buyers? Simple answer. Simple answer. Be profitable, number one. Be in a niche that that not many people are doing. Have growth potential. Right? Be in a, being a market where you can grow. And you can multiply. That's what they want to see. Uh, certainly, if you know the buyers, you, if you're doing what they're doing, you're a big target. If your lines of business are similar, have a good staff. Be organized. When a buyer comes in to see you, they're going to, they're going to ask you for a, a rundown of your staff they're not gonna ask you for names and don't get into them but if you have a manager for this and a manager for this and a manager for this however you're set up if you have people behind you it really looks good and it is good because the, the question is not when are you or it's not you know when you're gonna leave it's or if you're gonna leave it's when you're gonna leave because most of them I would say nine out of ten that's just my my guess uh, are there for a short period of time, like two years. They sell the company because they want to do something else. And that's typically what happens. It happened to me Now I happened to go on a path with the company that bought me, but I got out of what I was doing in two years. It just happens. So uh, to be attractive, again, make money, have a good staff. So if you leave they're comfortable that you got a staff behind you. Um, and, uh, and I think I said this too in, in, in the podcast about selling your business, you use the word attractive in this question. And when I say attractive, be genuine because they need to know that they can work with you. And if you're a likable person, if you're pleasant, if you're friendly, and that doesn't mean you're a, you know happy-go-lucky. It means you know, you know what you want, you know how to get it, but you're not going to be abrasive about it. You're going to be able to work with people. You're going to be able to listen to people. You're going to understand. You're going to be a partner. That's what they want. So that's how you can be more attractive. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and I'll see you in a minute with more Q&A. Hey, everybody. If you're looking for a strategic business partner who does subcontracting work on the interiors, let me tell you about the CFP Group. They are a minority business enterprise and have been in business for over 20 years. If you're interested, you can contact them by email at cfpgroup1 at gmail.com. I'll call them directly at 410-977-8568. That's 410-977-8568. Take it from me. I've done business with them and I know they can get the job done. Hey, welcome back to common questions and concerns in commercial construction. Let's get to our next question. I'm an estimator in a medium-sized company. I wanna get into project management, but I'm concerned that it might cause issues for me and my employer. Say you're an estimator. You're stuck inside all day and you you don't like it. You want to be able to move around. You want to be able to be where the action is not, that the estimating is not important because it is. So my first thing to you that would mitigate your concern about trying out project management is be a good estimator. If you're if you're a really good estimator, there might be some pushback. But if you're a really good estimator, they're going to want to keep you. So, if you want to do some project management work, why don't you take a small job that you that you actually close and run that and continue to estimate 3 days a week, maybe 4 days a week and and just kind of evolve into it. But that way you're gonna see, see what it feels like to be a PM because it's not all, it's tough. PM is tough. You're dealing with a client all the time. You're dealing with, the, you are the center of everything that's happening. Now, if that works, you're gonna get a feel for it and so is your company. And they're not gonna to have to replace you with a new estimator because, you know, you're still doing estimating a majority of the time. Uh, I would make it well known if you like it that you wanna move in that direction. And they'll, they'll let you do it. Because think about it, best case scenario, you're a good PM, and I'll tell you what, PMs are worth their weight in gold. And they can train somebody else to be an estimator. However, if the PM role doesn't suit you, and it may not, in two years you might say, you know, <laughs> I wish I was just back estimating because I like that. Well, guess what? They remember you as a really good estimator, you'll get your job. And if it doesn't happen at that company, now you've got an estimating background and hopefully you're on the you know, the, the state of the art uh, bidding software and you've got project management experience. So you really can't go wrong. Our next question, my margins are shrinking. How do I build them up quickly? Margins are shrinking. You know, and I've heard every reason in the book why they are. You know, my competitors are stupid and you know, all this stuff you're in control of that for for the most part if your margins are shrinking you gotta understand first and foremost why is it because there's more competitors in the business is the business shrinking and therefore to get work you're competing with more people and you've got to take the work for less is the entire market shrinking is you are you growing this happens a lot when you grow your margins shrink. You might do three more million than you did last year, but at three less points and you're, you're trading dollars. You have more risk for the same amount of profit. That doesn't make any sense. So I'm glad that you're sitting, you know, I'm not glad your market margins are shrinking, but I'm glad you recognize it. Building them back, you don't do it quickly. You don't. You build them back. A good job starts with a good understanding of the scope of work and a good price. And a good price. Both are important. So your margins will start to grow when whoever's selling the work understands that you need to get more money for it. And hopefully they're, you know, hopefully they're built to do that, but it's going to take time. Commercial jobs, the problem with a commercial job is they're oftentimes many, many months long. So it's it's like making a bet on the first hole of a golf match. Now, you may think four hours, four and a half hours is, is not a long time, but it is. If you make a bad bet, you're living with that bet through the entire 18 holes. You can't shed it. You're stuck with it. It's just like a bad job, except a bad job, it's not four and a half hours. It might be four and a half months or a year. So first things first, you have to get better jobs at better margins, and it will start to build back up again, but it's going to take some time. Now, if there's things you can do in the field, if your field management's weak, you could could look at that you can make changes and it could brighten the picture quickly. If a job is going south, if you're on your job costs, you're gonna see it early and you're gonna make changes, right? My margin's shrinking, but I'm only 20% through the job. What do I gotta do? There you can make some immediate headway, okay? By doing things on the job that might change it. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be about how you book new jobs. And our next question, I spent my interning, internship shadowing a super on a job. I hated it. I don't think commercial construction is for me. What do I do? Well, I would suggest an internship. If you like, if you like commercial construction, maybe you don't like it from a field perspective because it, it's not, you know, it's it's tough. You're wearing boots, you're wearing a hard hat, you're out there in the cold, miserable days, it snows, but you're on the job. Some people cherish that. Uh, Some people, they're built for that. Some people aren't. I happen to be one that's not. Now I like to walk on a job because I love to see things in motion. But if I'm there for two hours, that's a long time because I'm not built that way. So it's not, maybe not the issue with commercial construction. Maybe it's the issue with the job that you have in commercial construction. You might want to consider now, if you can, talking to whoever hired you as an intern and say, look, you know, I I wouldn't say, hey, you know, I hate this, but I'd say, look, I got my taste of the field and I understand what it's all about. Probably not for me, but I like this company. Is there another opportunity inside or as a project manager or something, you know, for the rest of this internship, can I shadow somebody else? Nothing wrong with that. Our next question. I'm a residential insulation contractor. Would you recommend I get into commercial work and if so how? Man, that's a good question. And, and you know, I'll give you some of my guidance, but I can tell you it's something that it's got to start with you. In other words, is your residential insulation taking care of whatever long-term needs you have? Is it Does it do it for you? Okay, are you looking for something else for a reason? Do you want to grow just for growth's sake? Do you want to grow because you want to make more money? Are you tired of the residential insulation business? Do you want to supplement it? If you do, commercial insulation and related work is an obvious next step. It's different. I said it in the last Q&A that residential work is, is less sophisticated and there's nothing wrong with that. They're big jobs too. With their di- the 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 pay cycle is different. The submittal cycle, it's all different. So if if I would if you want to do something different, I think residential to commercial or along with commercial is a great idea. You're already you already have staff. You already have people to work with their hands. You already have people who handle insulation. Commercial insulation is not that much different in the field than residential if you know what you're doing. So I would say that you should strongly consider it, but get somebody to work with, whether it's a consultant or somebody that you can bring on staff who has experience with it. What you don't wanna do is pretend it's the same because it's not. You will get frustrated, you will lose money, it will suck the life out of you if you don't do it right. And it's really easy to do it right if you align yourself with the right people. Here's a... a, (laughs) Good question. How do I get my point across with an intimidating boss who constantly sucks the energy and the, and the oxygen out of the room? Man, <laughs> you know, you, you talk about there's good leadership and then there's no leadership. There's not mediocre. It's either good or it's not. So if you have a boss who doesn't, who doesn't let you weigh in on stuff, that is a problem. I'll tell you what not to do first. What you don't do is get into a tussle with your boss with other people around, especially in a meeting. That's a disaster, don't do it. If you have a suggestion, right, maybe your boss's boss, maybe you go to your boss's boss in a very confidential way and say, listen, I got some ideas, I'd like to run them by you. You know, but he has to understand that you're not trying to undermine your specific boss. But if you can't get through to your boss, what are you going to do? So I said what not to do. Don't get into a a public tussle. right? You might want to go to his boss, but maybe before that, get your boss and sit him down and say, I need you for a half an hour. And not until you have a free half hour without the phone, I need to talk. And tell him, I love working here. Tell him the truth. But I feel like you're stepping on me all the time. You know, we talk about XYZ job. I'm out there every day, but you don't let me talk about, you don't even ask me about what's going on or my opinion on things. Now you've got so much more experience than me, but how can I learn if I can't run by you what I'm thinking? Because if I'm wrong, I want you to tell me I'm wrong because I learned that way. If I'm right, And I'm right, and maybe we can go down that path. I'm not looking for a pat on the back or accolades or anything. I'm looking to be a part of us moving forward. I want to be an integral part, and I need your help to do that. So you need to sit with your boss one-on-one, uninterrupted. Have your agenda points ready, and make sure you get through each point before you go to the next one. Because it may be the only time you have to sit with that guy and really have a heart-to-heart. But that's gotta, you know, look, and if it doesn't change, you do need to go to his boss and you do need to tell him because either or other, in any event, you're not gonna be there long unless things change. I have an issue closing a job with a company, with a client. Do I pursue legal action or should I let it run its course? So, man, this, is a, this comes up all the time. Closing out a job is very tough, and I'll I'll tell you the best way, the best way to increase your position in closing a job is if they don't owe you a lot of money. Now, you have a hand in that. If they owe you a million bucks versus a hundred thousand, or if they owe you a hundred thousand versus ten thousand, where are you in more of a precarious position with the higher number? If they owe you a lot of money, you don't have the kind of leverage that you need. And that is a personal question, a question for your company only, because some companies don't need the cash. Some well-heeled companies, they don't need the cash. You know what? Keep my million and I'm going to sue you and I'm going to get three. Now, bigger companies will, they will look at that and say, okay, what's our exposure? But when you're a small company and they owe you a lot of money, they know that you're going to bend They know that they're going to get over on you and they will. So the first thing before you even get to the end of the job, get as much money out as you can. And you get it out by billing it properly, right? Not letting the extras pile up, you know, stand your ground. If you can get payment terms, get them. Imagine that. If you get payment terms, 2%, 10. They do it. I'm doing a major job right now in D.C. And they have a 2% net 10 day payment clause. Now, if you're making 10%, 2%, 20% of your profit, you're probably not going to do it. But if you're making 25, you should do it every day because 10 days after your rent goes in, they pay you. The only thing you're holding now is retainage. Now, retainage is nothing. Get 5% and 50% complete. Because, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm answering the question. The question is, when do I, you know, when do I uh, say uncle? Well, if you don't have a lot of money, you might not have to ever say uncle. And they're more likely to make a deal. Nobody wants to go to court. And I gotta tell you, in my 40 plus years in the business, I never went to court, not one time, because of the things I just told you. And sometimes it hurt, sometimes it hurt. But I had to say, okay, how much is it gonna cost me in in my own dollars with a, uh, a legal team? What are my chances to recover anything? What are my risks and how distracted is going to make me. All that all matters because if you're distracted, you're not paying attention to the business today. You're looking at last year. Okay, so all those things matter. But the main thing is make sure you have some leverage, right? You Make sure you have the ability to put a mechanics lien on the job. And every state is different. Know your mechanics law because that will... That will put a red mark on them getting financing. They're going to have to bond over the lien. They're going to have to say to a bonding company, all right, this guy sued me for 500 grand. i want to get a bond for that so the owner can get his his, his certificate of occupancy. Because if there's a red mark on it, it won't happen. So they bond over the lien. But but nobody wants to do that. But if you have your bonding issue, I'm sorry, if your mechanics liens are still in play, and it could be from 90 days, 120 days, sometimes more, sometimes less, Make sure those things are in play. And all of those will help you make the decision on whether you should negotiate a settlement or you should sell More than likely, you're going to negotiate. How would you handle a worker disregarding your instructions about their part of the project? I mean, there's there's like zero tolerance for that. If your worker, let's see, let's, in this case, he's a field worker. If he's not doing what you ask him to do, and you're the foreman, you call them over privately and, and you give them maybe one chance say, why are you doing that? And why are you not doing what I asked you to do? This is like common sense, human nature, but you cannot have somebody on your team who's not pulling with you because you're only good as they, as the cliche goes, you're a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. If you have a guy, I don't care if you're in management and the guy works in your office, or you're in the field as a foreman and a guy works on your crew. If you can't get that guy to pull the same way you are, how are you gonna hold anybody else accountable? Because all they're gonna say is, wait a second, you let him get away with it? Or wait a second, you let her get away with it? How are you gonna hold me accountable when this is going on? Don't let that happen. Now, look, a lot of times communication gets screwed up and it could be an honest mistake, make sure that that is an honest mistake and not deliberate. If it's deliberate, you might wanna get rid of that person right away because they're undermining you. And if they undermine you, other people are gonna do the same thing. Make sure that your team is a tight team, whether you're on site or whether you're in the shop or whether you're in the office. I own a business and have a number of consultants. When should I consider, consider moving my consultants to full time? Well, it's not just your decision because you have consultants that are, you know, like me. Okay, I own a business. Uh, when should I consider pulling in consultants in lieu of hiring somebody full-time? Let's, so I assume that you, you might be doing something different in your business. So, you know, there's consultants for everything. Some are good, some are average, and, and whatever. I'm a consultant. And, you know, I know my business. I know what I don't know, which is maybe just important. But I would would consider a consultant first, and I'll tell you why. You're not committing long-term to anybody. You're getting somebody who's knowledgeable in that specific field. You're paying them a fee for what they do, when they do it. You're probably going to pay them monthly. You're going to learn. You're going to get deliverables. And and here's the, the beauty of it. You're gonna get the experience if you get the right consultant of somebody who's been around. And and you're gonna get a lot of stuff from that consultant that you never even thought you could get. Some business guidance, right? The how to for sure. And that's important because you can learn the how to, how to do this or how to bid that. And you could, you know, you might make a mistake. We talked earlier about uh, a bad job. Well, the worst thing you want is a bad job for all the reasons. Not just because you're not going to make money, it's because of all the other bad things that are going to happen. A consultant worth his weight will be able to help guide you past the common mistakes that people make when they're doing things that they personally don't know how to do. Now, again, business owners are very confident, let's say, and they think they know pretty much how to do everything. But again, a good business owner knows what he doesn't know, and I would recommend hiring a consultant. Now, if the consultant... They're going to charge you more per hour, and if you if you took the hours of the consultant and said, "Well, there's two thousand hours in a year, I'm going to I'm paying the guy one hundred fifty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, whatever the number is, I can get somebody for less." Yes, but do you want to? At that point in time, maybe you do. Once you get comfortable with the business, once you personally know more about the business, then you'll personally be able to hire somebody better because you understand what you're hiring them for better than you did before the consultant. So. Again, I would highly recommend you engage the right consultant before you hire somebody full-time unless you are dead sure that you know what you want. So, I hope you enjoyed our second iteration of common questions and concerns in commercial construction. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would direct your questions to the website, adicorp.com. That's A-D-I-C-O-R-P.com. It's easy to find. Go go to the contact page and fill out the info and send us your question. Again, I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you did. Uh, And until next week, stay safe and stay tuned. So if you have questions about starting, building, or selling your business or anything in between, contact me two ways. Go to my website at adicorp.com, that's a d i c o r p.com, it's my last name spelled backwards, or visit me on LinkedIn, go to david proceda and leave your messages there. Visit us on our YouTube channel at Elevate the Industry. Check us out on Instagram at Elevate Industry. Subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Either way, we'll talk next week. And between now and then, stay safe and stay tuned. All the music for the episodes, including our theme song Elevate, was provided by DMV producer Trey Skills. If you like what you heard, follow Trey Skills on Instagram at Trey Skills, T-R-E-Y-S-K-I-L-L-Z. That's T-R-E-Y-S-K-I-L-L-Z.